You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. invite you in your scriptures to turn to the Psalms today and turn to, turn to Psalm 148. Yes, there are other books than Mark and uh, that's where we're at today. Let me tell you a little bit about why that is in Psalm 148 and we'll go elsewhere. Um, just somewhat getting ready, thinking about this weekend and uh, we were approaching Mark chapter 10 a uh, good section on marriage and oneness and God's plan in marriage. We are not skipping that. We will be back there at some point. Uh, but thought it best this week to address what's going on in our, in our woods, in our nation with the hurricanes and, and earthquakes and things that we see. So, so this morning, that's why we're just making a, a shift here. And uh, just to give you kind of lay out even what the next months look like for us really um this sunday and next kind of just wanting to do really a two-part section on god's sovereignty thinking of what it means that god is sovereign i'll define that word here in a bit but this sunday looking at it in terms of the natural disasters that we see going around and then next week how does that relate to humanity and and the responsibility of humans and our wills and and so that kind of makes it a, a two-parter here but at this this week we've got a hurricane i know if i check my phone right now fox news will have some update of what's going on but it's bearing down even as i speak and so we want to think about that uh then in three weeks from here on the 24th uh our family will be out of town and brandon will be preaching so you can be praying for Brandon as he prepares for that. And then after that, this is why we'll, it will be a while till we're back in Mark. The elders are working on a rough draft of a revised new constitution for our church. And uh, we've been working for a long time. And uh, we don't want to just say, here it is, let's vote on it. We want to take some time. So you all, October First there about, I think, or whatever the first Sunday is, we're going to spend uh, probably 11 some weeks just looking through this Constitution, understanding, I hope it's a, a good study, not just in bylaws or, and just, just uh, material on a page, but really, what are we to be as a church? What does a church look like? What's our purpose? Where are we going? And, and, and those sorts of things. And so um, we don't have any copies yet. That's, that's upcoming in October. We're going to work on finishing that up but uh and then we'll so that'll be a series there so we will come back to mark this is going to be a be a while so i don't have plenty of time to get that sermon ready right as we get back so um but where we're at today let me start by just reading god's word and then we'll pray and then we'll look into some things here so let's read all of psalm 148 i'll read it you can follow along in your text let's hear god's word to us it says praise the lord Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens. 
and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created, and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling His Word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people. Praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord. Let's pray again. Lord, be it woes in our life. Our prayer is nearer our God to Thee. Father, that is easier prayed than lived out. But Lord, that You would take woes and, by, and through those draw us nearer. Father, we thank You for the grace that operates such a different way often than we think of. Lord, as we just look at various texts of Your Word today, I pray that Your Spirit would do the work the heart work of revealing, conforming us, Lord, giving us rest and comfort in a God that You said in Psalm 148 is above the heavens and above the earth and above everything else. It's Your name we praise and I pray we'd leave here praising Your name and lifting up our brothers and sisters and all those who are struggling this very day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some ways, as I began yesterday afternoon, Dave mentioned it as he was praying, I think, about our town in Leroy, just a quiet after, quiet Saturday afternoon. Um, I think there was some motorcycle group coming through town. That's probably the loudest thing going through town. There was a tractor parade going through town. Just peaceful Saturday afternoon here in Leroy. Out in the country driving, but 1,600 miles away. And some of you have been keeping up on the news. Florida here bracing for Hurricane Irma. Most powerful hurricane ever recorded in the Atlantic. Uh, there's Hurricane Katia made landfall in Mexico. This was after an 8.1 earthquake that so far in Mexico has killed 64. Cleanup continues in the Houston area. We're here, according to David Shaper, he writes, this is as of Thursday, 100 roads are still closed, 50,000 are in temporary housing, 8 million cubic yards of debris need to be removed, 126,000 homes have severe damage. That's Houston area. I looked it up just for comparison. Rochester's population is roughly 107,000. Okay, so almost 20,000 more homes than people that live in Rochester are affected here. Let alone out west, there's some 80 large wildfires covering some 2,200 square miles out there. 
That's just our neighborhood. Not to mention all the other, again, weather going on around the world. Fightings and tensions on a global scale. I posted on Facebook this week an article from a pastor in Oklahoma City. His name is Sam Storms. And uh, there's no pun in his name, but I just thought this is interesting. Uh, He wrote an article on the storm. And uh, his article was, 10 Things You Should Know about Hurricane Harvey. Now, this is, I think he wrote it on uh, Labor Day or, or came out there about, so Irma was still gathering steam. Uh, Ten things you should know about Hurricane Harvey and the sovereignty of God. So what I'm going to share today to you, it's not my own, some of it I've added in and we've, we're going to go to various scriptures to look at this, but it comes from his outline. And if you want to look at it, it's on our Uh, Facebook page if you're interested in revisiting it later. Here's what he says. He says, ask the question, what what may we conclude, if anything at all, about the tragedy in Houston? What lessons does the Bible teach us as we try to make sense of this event? What's the relationship of God's sovereignty to the devastation of this hurricane? And he says, here are ten things to keep in mind. And I'm going to just expand this out today to say that the other weather that we're watching, the wildfires, the earthquakes, and maybe even your own storm brewing in your own life. Let me first, though, just define kids and adults the word sovereignty. That's a bigger word, sovereignty. Uh, what does it mean? And, and I tend to always lean back on the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. It's very helpful to find uh, definitions, and here's, here's what he's got back in 1828 definitions. One, supreme in power. You're going to hear a theme here. Uh, another, possessing supreme dominion or as a, as a dominion, as a sovereign ruler of the universe or superior to all others or chief. You hear the word most often there, supreme or high, chief, right? Superior, supreme. So when we speak of God's sovereignty, we're really speaking of his supremeness over all things, that he supremely rules over all things and he's supremely superior to all things. All of creation answers to the word of the Lord and does his will. And hopefully as we work through this list that Sam has put together, sovereign is going to just define itself in the descriptions and and the word of God that we look at. So here's the first thing to know in light of the storm and the devastation. And I've combined one and two, both of his, to to just make them one. And here it is in a nutshell. This is kind of my summary. God is absolutely sovereign over all nature. That'd be one and two. God is absolutely sovereign over all nature. Here's what Sam says. It will not accomplish anything good to deny what Scripture so clearly asserts, that God is absolutely sovereign over all of nature. He can Himself send devastation. Or He may permit Satan to wreak havoc in the earth. Yes, He can, if He chooses, intervene and prevent a hurricane, an earthquake, a tsunami, and all other natural disasters. In the end, we do not know why, and I put in here humanly speaking, right? Why he makes one choice and not another, other than we could say he does all things for his glory. I would just add that in there. 
He goes on. That God is in absolute control over all the so-called forces of nature is evident from numerous biblical texts. Now he gives many. I just want to look at a few together and I want us to look. One, you're there. If you're in Psalm 148, you're already there. We've read it. All of creation praises the Lord and does His bidding. It, it accomplishes His decree. It's not going to pass away. From the heavens above to the earth beneath. Even kings and peoples. And even what? Verse 8, right? Fire, hail, snow, mist, stormy wind fulfills His Word. That can be hard to think about. It's fitting, I think, before we go into the the whys of such disasters here. Why is this? Why that? And such that we acknowledge here with the psalmist that, that God's name alone is exalted. His, His majesty is above the earth and above the heaven. Let's go to another place. Job is a place to go to. Just turn back to the left. Just the, the next book left of here. And we look up Job. And I want you to go to chapter 37. And we're going to read a little bit of 37. We're going to read a little bit of 38. Here's Job, obviously going through the sufferings, the loss, even his own health, his own family. And this book going through. And then here's Elihu speaking to him in chapter 37. He says these things in verses 5 through 14. We're just reading portions here to say, how is God? How do we see this in Scripture? He's absolutely sovereign over, over all of nature. Here's what verse 5 says in Job 37. God thunders wondrously with His voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, He says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, His mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all men whom He made may know it. Then the beasts, the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. Winter's not just a Minnesota thing, is it? This is God controlling all of His creation. Verse 11, He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter His lightning. They turn around and around by His guidance to accomplish all that He commands them on the face of the habitable world. Here's maybe some, you know, whether for correction or for His land or for love, He causes it to happen. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. This is a good place to start when we go hurricanes and weather to just consider the wondrous works of God. Go forward to chapter 38. And I'll read verses 22 through 38, a little longer section. Again, Job 38, 22. Now, now God's asking uh, or answering Job here out of the whirlwind. This is, this is the Lord speaking in verse 22. Job, Job, have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel, channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt 
to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? Or who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone and the face of the deep is frozen. There's that language again. 31. This is great astronomy here. Can you, Job, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Think of all these constellations. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? That takes some time to understand dust, mass, clod stick, that part. But do you see over and over again the question again and again, who, who, who? The answer is God. God alone, whose name is exalted. You might remember, we don't need to go there, even us in the book of Mark going through, who was it that that rebuked the wind and said to the sea, be still, be calm? It was Jesus, King Jesus. And the wind ceased and it calmed down. Jesus, God in the flesh, He, in three words, at least in our English, calms the sea. And it's at His beck and call. God is absolutely sovereign over all of nature. Number three. So I combine one and two. Number three. God's sovereignty also extends to the life and death of those caught up in such disasters. His sovereignty extends to the life and death of those caught up. Listen to some... Uh, let's go here. Deuteronomy 32. Yeah, we're going to go to this passage. We'll, I'll read a couple others, but Deuteronomy 32. This passage really, it's, a, it's the uh, song of Moses, God's uh, witnessing to His people that He's brought out of Egypt, getting ready to go into promised land, that, that before they ever leave Him and when they grow fat and satisfied in the land and they turn to other gods, this song is going to be like a witness against them. We're going to look at just a few verses, just two of them that are in here. One, uh, just I can't pass by without just pointing out, is Deuteronomy 32.4. His sovereignty extends to life and death. And if we have a hard time thinking about that, or think, how is that done? Is He a good God? Think verse 4, Deuteronomy. The rock, His work is perfect. It's not semi. It's not maybe. It's not an if. It's perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. That's how He's different than us. He has no sin. Just and upright is He. We... As hard as it is, we've got to lock that in. That his work is perfect. And then we go to uh, verse 39 here. So you skip down a ways to verse 39. 
God still saying here, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Isaiah 45 similarly speaks of God who forms light. He creates darkness. We looked at this last week in Sunday school. It says in there, I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So we acknowledge God whose ways they're perfect and above us. And all things answer to him, even our very breath. Here's a few more. I'll just read them. You can write down a reference. Psalm 139.16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. James 5, 13-15 says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But God's sovereignty extends even to life and death. Number four, God is sovereign, not Satan. God is sovereign, not Satan. Storm says this, whether or to what extent Satan may have had a hand in what occurred, we can never know. What we can know and must proclaim is that he can do nothing apart from God's sovereign permission. Satan is not ultimately sovereign. God alone is. And I think even from the very first chapters of Genesis 3, we see the the seed of the serpent. Satan's going to strike, bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. And yet her seed, ultimately, Jesus is going to bruise or crush his head. We're not going to these places, but Job 1 presents Satan. Basically, he wants to go do... He's at the the call of God. He's at the permission of God's will to go do these things in Job's life that we're just reading about. The Gospels as well present Satan as the tempter of Jesus. And over and go... We've read Mark over and over. Demon, be cast out. Go here. You want the pigs? Go here. He puts, he places. Satan is under... The authority of God. So that we can say here, yes, we don't know what part we don't know, but we know God is over all. Satan is not uh, ultimate. God is. And one day, Satan will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. Number five. This is my summation of his uh, asking the question, are they greater sinners than us? The people in Houston, they're just, they're just more sinful. That's why this is coming. Those, those people in Florida, yeah, I knew. Maybe, maybe there are rich people down there. They, they deserve it. You know, or you see some things, right? The president's place is down. They deserve that. All this sort of thing. Is that, is that it? Are they greater sinners than us? Here's what Sam says. Great natural disasters such as this tell us nothing about the comparative sinfulness of those who are its victims. He pleads here, and he hears pleading. Please do not conclude that the citizens of Southeast Texas, and I'll just add here, among places like the West or Mexico or South Florida, 
are more sinful than any other group of individuals that have not as yet experienced such devastation. Please do not conclude that we are more righteous than the people of Houston because God has thus far spared us from such events. The Bible simply won't let us draw either conclusion. Would you go to the book of Luke with me? Look at Luke chapter 13. It's a very helpful passage because Jesus is being asked the same question. Luke chapter 13. Verses 1 through 5. Is it because of sin? Here's, here's Luke 13, 1. There were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What's Jesus doing? He's bringing it back to say, We don't have to look at people and go, oh yeah, we're a sinner. I can see that. It's like I'm doing pretty good. No devastation today. There's no hurricane in southern Minnesota today. No tornado. We must be doing pretty good. He's saying, look, no, see that. And then look at your own heart. And if you see, you too need to repent. Because if not, you will likewise, in the same way, perish. Here's what Storms continues to say. What the Bible does say is that we all continue to live and flourish not because we deserve it, but solely because of the mercy and long-suffering of God. Life is on loan from God. He does not owe us existence. And what He has mercifully given, He can take back at any time and in any way He sees fit. Romans 3 tells us, we're not going there, but it tells us all of us are alike. We're under sin and therefore we all, all but by the mercies of God, are deserving of wrath. Were it not for God to intervene by His grace in the life of sinners. And even this sin that we're talking about has marred even creation. As man sinned, so death sprang up. This world is in bondage to corruption. You know, even the term, you know, as you hear it, you're going to hear it. Even in this article, it's there. We just use it. But you hear that term, natural disaster, and it can mislead us. So the disasters, and hear me right, they're not natural in the sense of the, the good of creation in the beginning. In one way, they're unnatural. This is not the good of creation because of sin in the world. It's corrupt. And they're an unnatural disaster. We can call them natural, but only because nature is in bondage to corruption. Sin's affected everything. And yet, even so, God reigns. Therefore, and this is number six. Here's my summary. No place is safe except in Jesus. No place. Just hear this word. 
No place is safe except in Jesus. We are not safer. We feel like it here. But apart from Christ, we are not safer here or at the eye wall of a storm coming in. We are in Jesus. This is what he says. Events such as this should remind us that no place on earth is safe and that we will all one day die unless Jesus returns first. Whether by a peaceful, natural death at the age of 90 or by a sudden heart attack at 50 or in a car accident at 15 or by a slow battle with cancer at virtually any age, we will all likewise die. We are not immortal in our flesh here. He goes on, the only ultimately and eternally safe place is to be in the arms of our Heavenly Father from which no hurricane or tsunami or cancer or car wreck can ever snatch us or wrench us free. Praise God. Our security and comfort is not based on the track of a hurricane or a tornado or whatever else is going on. Go to John chapter 10 just to hear this. Oh, we're in Luke. Not very far. Back a little ways. Wait, no, go on the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, wrong way. To the right a little bit. John chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 22 through 30. John 10, 22 through 30. Jesus is the safe place. Here's what he says. So what the word says. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You hear that? There's no hurricane. There's no tornado. There's no trial at work that's going to snatch out of the Father's hand for those in Christ. He says, I and the Father are one. Ultimate comfort and security is not that we are not in the direct path of an eye of a storm or an earthquake-prone zone. It's ultimately being in the arms of Jesus, our Savior. And the question is, do you know Him? Do you know the Savior? Call on Him. You hear His voice? I'm a sinner. I repent. I turn. Sin is against You, Lord. I turn to the cross. I trust in Your shed blood. I want to follow You, Lord. For those of us who are believers, we're, we face the same question. Do, you, do we continue to believe and trust? And no matter what storm, no matter what we face, no matter what tomorrow or the next 10 minutes or that text you dread or all these sorts of things that we're safe in the arms of Christ. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It's good news. Number seven. We're getting there, aren't we? Number seven. Conclusions on the return of Christ. All right, here's another one. 
Is Christ going to return? Here's, here's how He answers this. Hear him, hear him all the way here. Don't shut Him off after a sentence, okay? He says, We should not look upon such events and conclude that the second coming of Christ and the end of history are at hand. But neither should we conclude that the second coming of Christ and the end of history are not at hand. All right, he's not saying either. You know, we can't know. He's saying, what's he saying? He says, what we should do is humble ourselves before the Lord and prepare our hearts for the day of his return, whenever that may be, whether in our lifetime or some distant date centuries from now. So Sam Storms here is concluding neither. What he's saying is we need to be absolutely ready for the return of Christ at any moment without making the assumption that just this disaster is it. It it's certainly in terms of climax for our news cycle, it seemed there's much going on, isn't there? Earthquake, uh, fires, hurricanes, all these sorts of things. But but what about even the global scale? You know, as you think about this, this stuff happens all over the world. It's going on. There's earthquakes, you know, in India or you know, they might say, well, 3,000 are dead in, you know, the Philippines or something, somewhere like that. We just kind of, if you're like me, and, and hopefully you're not, but you just kind of hear that news and go, well, that's, that's over there. I don't, you know, 3,000 dead here? That's 24-hour news. We're kind of just um, immune to some of that. With some of that, some of the news cycle that goes on. And so there is widespread devastation, even if it's not in these days like we're seeing. Um, so we need to be careful concluding. This is it. This is the end. Could be. Are you ready? Let's get ready. Let's be ready. It may not be. We don't know. Number eight. This is good. We must learn to weep with those who weep. We must. Here's what he says. I said that. Here's what he says. We must pray for them, serve them, help them, give to them, and do all within our power to alleviate their suffering, even if their suffering is caused by God. Go to Romans chapter 12. Uh, I think Romans is our last place that we're going to really travel to here, but Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Just gives us... Yeah, here again is... Or some thoughts as we look at reading through uh, nine through fifteen here. Um, yeah, just the the twenty four hour news and the cycle that it it tends to just flatten out some tragedy. You know, even even here, you, you know, we can find ourselves. I, I can be listening or watching the news, and well, it's a category five, and now it's down to a four, and. Now it's a category five. It's downgraded to a three. And, and I think we can just go, oh, it's category three. guess it's not that bad. I mean, it's still, it's a hurricane. It's, we're talking about hurricane language here. But we can just, we're just kind of immune to some of this. And I think we need God's word here to just, just kind of uh, shock our hearts back into weeping with those who weep. And looking at that. So let's read Romans 9 through, uh, Romans 12, 9 through 15. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Uh, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is all other-centered, isn't it? Verse 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Times like this morning for us, and maybe there's other times where you're to slow down to think through the lives of other people, they are a chance for us to slow down and weep with those who are hurting. Weep with those who weep. To understand what's it like to be put out of your home due to a flood. Or to flee your home, you don't know what you're coming back to. Or to not know if you're going to see a family member again. Or to go rescue different people. So forth. Even in our own fellowship, I think the same is true. We can be so caught up in our own storms and our own problems or our own just walled in life that we forget to go, what's going on? How are you? How is the storm? This is going on. I remember you mentioned this. Somebody passed away. How are you doing with that? That sort of thing to care for one another. Here's what Sam Storms continues to say. We do not have to agree with them religiously or politically. These are the weeping with those who weep. We don't have to agree with them religiously or politically to shower them with the love of Christ. Jesus calls us to show mercy to those who suffer, even if they do not deserve it. I love how he just keeps bringing back. The fact is none of us deserves that kind of mercy. That's why the Bible calls it mercy. It is undeserved kindness. Jesus says this in Luke 6, 35 through 36. He says, love your enemies. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Two others that are shorter here, and I've switched them around if you look on it online, but number nine, to sum it up, be verbally restrained in terms of definite conclusions be verbally restrained in terms of definite conclusions Uh, here's what he says whenever events such as this occur we must exercise humility and spirit empowered restraint in our verbal reactions be slow to provide explanations in the absence of explicit biblical teaching on the subject again god's sovereignty he rules we see that why this why that place Direct, be slow. He continues. In the end, we must join the Apostle Paul. And here's where we're going to read in Romans. Just go back. If you're in 12, go back to Romans 11, 33 and 36. Here's really in the end what he says. We've got to join with the Apostle Paul in chapter 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable or another way to say that how impossible to understand is a way to understand that word inscrutable, how impossible to understand are his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. We don't counsel him or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things To Him then be glory forever. Amen. God's glory in the end is for God alone. 
though we may not understand everything. And so number 10, we're going to practically do in a moment here, and that is pray. And we've already been praying. We're going to do that together. Number 10 is pray that God will use such an event to open the hearts and eyes of not only our nation, but every people group on earth that is immersed in paganism. So take this as an opportunity to pray for, yes, those Florida, Houston, all the the Caribbean islands, Mexico, every people group that's immersed in paganism, I'll continue to read his, to see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and turn in faith to him, lest something infinitely worse than a hurricane and flood befall them. And that is eternal condemnation or eternal suffering. We want to pray, yes, Lord, move or so protect or guide. Those are not wrong things to pray, but Lord, that you would spare those that have not called on your name, spare them from eternal suffering, the eternal wind and hurricane of God's fury and wrath and the fires of hell. So we're going to do that. We have done this once or twice before, but I'm going to invite us as a group. I don't know if you have things in the oven, but they'll be okay. If they're slightly crispy, it's all right to just gather in a group around you. Find a group, just a small group is kind of what I'm envisioning. Grab some, you see someone off by themselves, grab them, say, come on, come join our group. Not all of you have to pray. Some of you are less comfortable praying in a group, but I encourage you, just trust the Lord, go pray. It's not a, not a the and thou, it's a calling out to the God of the universe who rules all things to say, Lord, He's called us to pray. Lord, would you intervene? Would you work? We know you're working and to call on him to work. So we're going to pray together. So I invite you just to join up in small groups. We're going to just pray for a bit of time, five, ten minutes. When you hear the piano playing, we're just going to stand and we've got one last hymn to sing in the end. So when you hear the piano starting, just you can just start wrapping them up and then we'll sing together as a congregation. So let's gather together former groups, move chairs if you need to, and let's pray for our nation and those other places as well.